In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Please be seated. Uh, Good morning. Here at All Souls, we are in the last week of our month of prayer. Not that we're going to stop praying once the calendar says uh, October. But during this month, we've been asking the Lord specifically uh, to give us, above all, His presence, uh, His provision, and a place, his house here in Horizon West, a place to worship him in the beauty of holiness, not just for a couple hours a week, uh, but day and night, even unto the end of the age. Uh, one of my favorite passages in scripture, Malachi uh, 1.10 and following, from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name shall be great among the nations. And in every place, incense shall be offered to my name and a pure offering. That pure offering is the Lord Jesus Christ, whom we feast on in the Holy Eucharist. That part's not in the text. That's commentary. For my name shall be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. So our prayer is that we would become a part of that passage. That that every place would be, we'd be one of those places where the Lord is worshipped night and day. So we've been praying for God's presence, his provision uh, for a place. And as it pertains to praying for God's provision, it's not only praying for financial provision, but also for people. That God would raise up people to serve in their giftedness here at this church at All Souls. So praying for God's provision or stewardship in general is not just about money, but nevertheless, it includes money. And as we've been praying for financial provision, we are asking both that God would open the hearts and hands of the friends of all souls, but also that we would discern how God is calling us to be generous and cheerful givers in the days ahead. So this morning's lessons are timely in the life of our church. But more than them being timely, having an ordered and godly relationship to money is of vital spiritual significance. The Bible talks a lot about money. It comes up a lot. There are over 2,000 verses in Holy Scripture about money. Our Lord, about 10% of his teaching in the Gospels is about money. So briefly this morning, and we're going to be laser-focused on our epistle, 1 Timothy chapter 6. Uh, Three points, three things concerning money. Number one, the peril of chasing riches. Number two, the promise of pursuing and trusting God. And number three, the proper relationship to and use of money. So first, the peril of chasing riches. The Apostle Paul writes to Timothy, 
bishop of Ephesus and his son in the faith, that the love of money is the root of all evil or all kinds of evil. Notice that he does not say money is the root of all evil, but rather the love thereof. Money is not evil in and of itself. On the contrary, later in today's epistle, 1 Timothy 6, Paul speaks of the good that money can do. Paul himself, if you read his epistles, was an adept fundraiser. I'm thinking of the later chapter of Romans, uh, his letters to uh, the Corinthians. But nevertheless, the love of money is spiritually damaging, or as we saw in the gospel, or even fatal. Plunging people into ruin and destruction, as St. Paul says. Money can be, and often is, an obstacle to relationship with God. Matthew 19, 23. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Assuredly, I say to you that it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Hard for a rich man. That's speaking of mankind. So ladies, you're not off the hook. Rich man or woman to enter the kingdom of God. Why is that? Why is that the case? Why is it difficult? Well, for one, because money can so easily become a counterfeit God. Because money promises things that only God can provide. And money becomes an idol. Money becomes mammon. When we trust in money for things that only God can provide. Happiness. Security. Peace. Value. Our own value and self-worth. Paul's occasion for this discourse on money in 1 Timothy chapter 6 is that there are those that, quote, suppose that godliness is a means of gain. There's people in the church now and even back then said, hey, we can get rich off this Jesus thing. And then Paul writes, now godliness with contentment is great gain. But we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and clothing, with these we shall be content. With these we be, shall be content. So that's key. It's not that. So it's not that money is completely unrelated to contentment or happiness. Water. Food, clothing, shelter, the things that Lazarus needed outside the gates. Those things require money. But here's the lie. The lie is that wealth is directly proportional to happiness. So the more money you have, the happier you will be. 
studies have shown, so take it with a grain of salt. You never know with studies, but there's been enough of them that once basic needs are met, so in our context in the United States, once you can pay your bills, you're not worried every single month, how am I going to pay my mortgage? That once basic needs are met, large increases in wealth thereafter do not correspond to large increases in happiness. As an aside, um, wanting to provide for yourself and for your family, wanting to enjoy the fruits of your labor, to inhabit a land flowing with milk and honey, so to speak, to wanting to be able to do good for others, for the community, these are not bad things. This is not an ideology of scarcity. But it is a warning that we don't confuse the giver with the gift. That we don't put our trust in money, but our trust in God, because he is the source of every good and perfect gift. Uh, last night, uh, praying uh, Compline, Psalm 4, it hit me. It says in Psalm 4, speaking to the Lord, you have put gladness in my heart more than when grain and wine and oil increase. So there is some gladness when those things increase. But God, you're the source, and you put this gladness in my heart that no thing can put in my heart. And the psalmist goes on, I lie down in peace at once I fall asleep, for only you, Lord, make me dwell in safety. So there's a warning. It's easy for stuff Easy for money, or perhaps the life that we think money can give us, to become an idol. I love Proverbs 30. Recognizing the danger of, of riches. And I think this is a wonderful prayer for us to pray. Proverbs 30, verses 8 and 9 says, Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food allotted to me, lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? But things are so good that we forget God, that we forget that he's the source. Then he goes on, or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. So St. Paul warns us against avarice and greed of the love of money, the dangers of wealth, and then says to Timothy, but you, O man of God, flee these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold of eternal life to which you were also called and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Point number two, the promise of pursuing and trusting God. This charge to Timothy reminds me of the words of our Lord. Seek first 
the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. And what are these things that shall be added? Food, clothing, shelter, etc. So again, it's not that money is bad. We need money. God knows this. But are we pursuing money or God? Are we trusting in money or are we trusting in the Lord and receiving wealth as from the hand of God as a blessing from him? And are we trusting God to provide all of our needs according to his riches and glory? This brings us to the third and final point, which we're going to spend most of our time. The proper relationship to and use of money. So we know you aren't to try to find happiness in money, to love money. You aren't to trust in riches. You aren't to chase after riches. You aren't to confuse pearls with the pearl of great price. So what are you to do? What are you to do with your money? The answer is to steward it. And seeing yourself as a steward means recognizing, ultimately, it's not your money. Psalm 24, 1. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. The world and they that dwell therein. So our belongings ipso facto, belong to us, but we belong to the Lord. So they really belong to him. We are stewards. We're stewards. Managers. When I do premarital counseling, I like to call it premarital uh, discipleship, uh, one of the sessions is on money. And in teaching the implications of this ontological union of man and woman, that the two become one flesh. So if the two become one flesh, that means your money becomes one as well. There's no more my money and your money. It's, it's our money. One flesh. But to take it a step further, that our money is the Lord's and that in his mercy and in his goodness, he allows us to keep most of it. And that the gifts we do give back, our offerings, these are used to grow us spiritually, to detach us from worldly things to increase our faith, to increase our trust in God, and to further his kingdom. In that uh, premarital session on money, one of the things I do is I give them uh, fake money. And then individually, without conferring with one another, each person writes out how he or she would spend that money. And I really try to urge them, spend it how you actually would, not like you should. So don't be like, well, Dave Ramsey would want me to do this. 
If you came into $10,000, how would you actually spend it? Would you actually save it? Would you actually invest it? Or would you want to go on a trip? And that's not bad. You want to use it to go on a trip? But what it does is it helps couples get on the same page. Because as you know, I mean, you're just, you're just going to know this statistically, maybe even know it intuitively. One of the conflicts in marriage is money or sources of conflicts or things that sort of bring conflict out. But another thing that the exercise does, which is important, is it, it allows you to see what your priorities are. Because how we spend our money is an indicator of our priorities. Even our Lord says this. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. In 1 Timothy 6, Paul gives instructions to the rich, to those with money. And this may have surprised you. Notice that he doesn't instruct them to become poor. He doesn't shame them for being rich. He doesn't tell them they have to take a vow of poverty. He doesn't say to them what Jesus said to the rich young ruler. Jesus took it to the next level because this guy worshipped money. He said, you gotta, you got to choose mammon or almighty God. But regardless, the call, it's a matter of how much money is God going to allow you to steward. But the call remains the same, to put all that we have and the whole of who we are on the altar, to acknowledge that, Lord, this is yours. I'm yours. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the people and those that dwell therein. It's to learn to trust God. Paul's instructions to the rich are, don't be arrogant. Don't be arrogant. Don't put your hope in the uncertainty of riches, but rather on God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Instructs them to use your money for good, to not just be rich monetarily, but spiritually, to store up treasure in heaven. I'll put it this way, to invest in the kingdom of God, to invest in the age to come. I mean, we are to enjoy material blessings in God and as from God and to make use of them for God's glory and for the good of others. It's an opportunity to grow in trust. It's an opportunity to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus. And by the way, just because uh, you, you might not have a lot of money doesn't mean you can't grow in this area. And on the other hand, just because someone can be poor, someone can be struggling and full of greed and avarice. Their hope is, their sense of security is, they're anchoring in, coming into some money, and that's going to fix everything. That's going to make my life good. How does that usually work out? 
this is something um, stewardship, uh, giving the, the spiritual gift, the spiritual discipline of giving, uh, is something that was modeled for me uh, growing up. Uh, it would have been around 1988, so I was like seven years old. And my mom's trying to raise me and my brother. And we were struggling. I mean, we did not, we had, we had a couple meals in rotation. You know, we had two nickels to rub together, but that was about it. And we didn't have a lot is the point. Um, and my mom went to uh, church one Sunday. And they were doing this missions offering, raising money for foreign missions. And it was this, they called it the chest of Joash. And my mom had this emergency fund, and it had $100 in it, which was a lot more in 1988 than it is now. <laughs> you could pay a, a, a bill with that in 1988. And she felt the Lord telling her, put that $100 in the offering plate. And my mom said she, she was like really mad about it. Like, God, are, are you going to take everything? And she just felt a sense of calling to do it. And she trusted the Lord. And she puts it in there uh, and, and gives this money to the Lord, makes this offering. To me, sort of reminiscent of when David, they bring him back the water and he pours it on the ground. And that next morning, Monday morning, so the next day after church, there's an envelope, no return address, $100 cash. She didn't tell anyone she was going to do this. She, my mom's not one to complain and tell people when she's having problems. And to this day, she has no idea who did that. And the Lord provided. And it's not a transactional thing, okay? I'm not telling you this is not 3 o'clock in the morning, public access television, that if you send in X amount of money, God's going to make you rich. But what it is saying, I have seen, is that you, you can trust in the Lord to provide. So, brothers and sisters, uh, in closing, uh, be keenly aware of the peril of riches, the peril of loving money, of trusting money. And again, this goes for all of us, whether your bank account is, has a lot of zeros or one zero. It could be empty and you could still be full of greed and avarice. That's a possibility. Do not trust in wealth. Don't make it a counterfeit God, a golden calf but rather trust in the Lord that he will provide all your needs according to his riches and glory. And when he does provide your needs, learn to be content with what he has given you. And if by his grace you are a steward of much, do not forget that the Lord your God, do not forget the Lord your God, but rather enjoy those blessings in God and as from God, using them for God, the good of others, and for the good of the kingdom. Amen.